Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of season 3 of the Wormbrenner Podcast. I am your host, Justin, and for this week, we will be going over a tweet that I had done a while ago. I had done a poll where I was asking you guys if you guys were to learn about any continental competition in the world, which one would you want to learn about? And the winner of that poll was the UEFA Champions League. And I wanted to do that episode now with uh, our break going on with uh, interviews. We're trying to schedule some more as well as just trying to get some more content out for you guys with the month, essentially, that I was gone with being on schedule problems as well as just overall and my small surgery that I had also told you guys about before. It it overall just a hectic, hectic time, but I'm so, so excited to be having you guys back here on a consistent basis and just getting content out for you guys that I enjoy and I hope you guys enjoy as well. Uh, as always, be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Wormburner Podcast. If you have not checked out our Twitter, it is at WormburnerPDCST. Again, that is WormburnerPDCST. We also have our website, the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that is the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Let's go ahead and get into this week's episode because I'm ready with the final coming up on on Saturday. I almost said Sunday, but yes, on Saturday, I'm super excited for Manchester City. Uh, being a Manchester City fan myself, let's go ahead and get into this week's episode. So for our first continental breakdown of this season, we of course go to the biggest of them all, the granddaddy of the Champions Leagues in the entire world. It is the UEFA Champions League hosted in, of course, Europe. With the setup and start of the Champions League, it was originally founded in 1955, so it was originally called the European Cup 68 years ago, and when it was set up originally as a competition, it was set up as a round-robin knockout tournament like most generic cups in general around the world. You had a lot of upsets during this time frame as well at the beginning of the European Cup history. You had the overall success of many, many teams. When you look at the history of it, one of the games, at least to me, that stands out is most likely the Lisbon Lions story. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Celtic have won the Champions League, Celtic from the Scottish Premier League. And the one and only time they did win the Champions League, or the uh, at that point, the European Cup, they did it with a homegrown team that no player on their starting lineup grew up more than 30 miles outside of Glasgow, Scotland, which is just an absolutely incredible story in which, against Celtic, beat Inter Milan 2-1 to in the 1967 final and to be the first British club to win the European Cup at that current point in time says a lot 
with the homegrown effort of the overall structure of Celtic during that time frame, as well as just the unpredictability of this knockout stage tournament back at its roots in its in its beginning stages. And of course, we had already covered in a previous episode having to do with Liga Noche, with the Portuguese League, but uh, of course you also have the Bella Gutman story in which he had won the European Cup two years in a row, and when he had asked the Benfica board for a raise, they said no, and uh, it was reported to have said, or Bella Gutman had reported saying that when he left Benfica, that never in a hundred years would Benfica be European champions again. And they have, I believe to date, have been to eight European finals, some European Champions League, others have been the UEFA Europa League, and none of them they have won. Uh, I think there was a post made, I think maybe last year or maybe even this year, that a youth team had won, or Benfica's youth team had won a European Cup competition, but some have said that that breaks the curse. Some of them say otherwise. I'm kind of in that impartial boat because I feel like the senior team should be able to win. Well, it, realistically, they maybe it would be a harder time for the first team to win a European Cup at this current moment in time with the big clubs that are out there, but back in the original setting of the Champions League or the European Cup in the 1950s and 60s, this was a completely different story. Teams uh, most likely had the ability to upset these larger sides, and with the dominance of Real Madrid at the very beginning of the European Cup history, they won the first five of these competitions in a row from 1955 to 1960 and still hold the record for the most Champions League titles in history, of of course, because they are royalty of Europe. And it's hard to dispute the fact that, of course, Real is one of the best teams in Europe. And looking at the overall history of the Champions League It is one that is riddled with so much history, like I had said before, with the Lisbon Lions and Celtic upsetting Benfica in the European Cup final, as well as you also have the likes of Nottingham Forest, which they've won two Champions League titles in their history, and it leads to an a astonishing statistic that Nottingham Forest is one of the few teams in the history of the world that has more continental titles than league titles in their history. They've only won the the British Premier League or, or the Premier League, the top flight in England one time, and they've won the European Cup or the Champions League twice in their history, back-to-back years in 1978-79 and 79-80, which is just absolutely remarkable. You have teams like PSV Eindhoven, Ajax also winning it on a rather consistent basis. You also have the likes of Bucharest, Stad Bucharest in Romania winning the title in 1950. 
85-86, as well as Porto, uh, Red Star Belgrade winning the title in 1990-91. And then you had the rebranding in 1992 to the UEFA Champions League and going to the more known setup of the Champions League that we know today with the group stage and the knockout. Since then, of course, there have been stories, obviously, with Barcelona versus Liverpool. You also have the likes of Barcelona versus PSG. Uh, Not to be Barcelona heavy here, but but you get my point. There, there are still, there are still heavy upsets as well as even the Tottenham story making it to the final, uh, literally with the last kick of the game against Ajax in the semifinal. You have stories like that, but it seems to me that the smaller teams, the ones that are in lower leagues, are are having a harder time getting into that final setup. The, the final for the UEFA Champions League. But looking at the overall history of the competition, again, with the overall remarkable number of 14 UEFA Champions League or Champions League titles, is Real Madrid. Their first one in 1956 and their latest one in 2022, which was last year with them defeating Liverpool in second place with literally half of the amount of Champions League titles is AC Milan with seven Champions League titles, their first one in 1963 and their latest one in 2007. In third place, you have a you have a two-way tie between Bayern Munich and Liverpool. Bayern Munich's first title was in 1974 and their latest one was in 2020, the COVID year or the COVID edition of the Champions League with the first of Liverpool's six Champions League titles, the first one coming in 1977, and the latest one in 2019, being their last European Cup title. In fourth, in fourth place, we have Barcelona with five Champions League titles. The first one in 1992, and the latest one in 2015. And with the fifth and final position rounding out the top five in Champions League titles is one from outside of the top five leagues in Europe with Ajax. They have four titles under their belt, the first one coming in 1971 and their latest one coming in 1995. Ironically enough, my birthday. (laughs) So, uh, or my birth year, I should say. And... With that, that is the history of the winners of the Continental Champions League title winners. Of course, Spain has the most titles under their belt with 19. You also have England with 14 titles under their belt, or English sides with 14 under their belt. You also have Italy with 12, Germany with 8, and the Netherlands with 6, ironically enough. And you also have Portugal below the Netherlands, which is interesting enough considering the fact the power of Benfica back in the 60s and 70s. You would think they'd have more than four under their belt, but again, you also have Benfica's 
Bella Gutman story where they didn't they haven't won a Champions League since Bella Gutman's reign. And so with that, that will be the end of the breakdown of the UEFA Champions League. Let's go ahead and get into the Wormburner News section of this week. We've got a lot going on in the world, especially with the possible breaking news that's been going on in the MLS. There's been rumors, so I don't want to say breaking just yet, but I wanted to at least cover my basis when it comes to the news. So let's go ahead and get into that. All right, guys. So we have uh, three topics to talk about for the Wormburner news section. And I think the first big one that we've got to at least talk about is that there is a lot of chatter going on, at least on my side of the pond, with Messi coming to Inter Miami. I wanted to at least give my thoughts and the overall situation going on here in the United States. I definitely think this is something that the United States would really benefit from. Obviously, having a big name like the greatest player ever, one of the greatest players ever, at least the greatest player currently right now as we speak, I think that overall... Messi coming to the United States, coming to the MLS and playing in the MLS would really benefit the interest in the overall progression of United States soccer, United States football. I think overall the interest will be there, obviously. Again, it's I, I feel like, and, and with all due respect to David Beckham, I feel like it is to that level but even higher because again it it's Lionel Messi one of the greatest players of our generation and we'll be in a time where we're growing for the 2022 World Cup we'll be overall we, we've been investing in and putting more time and effort into the youth system here in the United States and having a person come to the United States like Lionel Messi. It's a huge, huge boost for us. And we need to be able to capitalize on that if he does come to the United States. But this is all speculation right now. It is rumored that talks are in order right now as we speak between Inter Miami and Messi. But there is nothing concrete yet. I'm... Kind of hoping that maybe after this episode airs that we hear something or or at least in the near future within this next week. I feel like that there will be something having to do with this news. Overall, I do feel like this is a step essentially sideways when it comes to the overall perspective of the United States being a retirement league. But again, it's a positive when you're talking about Lionel Messi coming to the MLS. Why wouldn't you want a player like him in a developing league like the MLS? And especially for the talent going on in Inter Miami, I feel like personally 
just the signing of Lionel Messi will bring a lot of academy talent towards the Inter-Miami side, towards the overall development of the players themselves, because they'll want to learn from quite our, again, the greatest player of our generation right now. And having that mentality, having that focus to say, all right, we're going to the MLS. Let's go ahead and try to, the, from the Inter-Miami perspective, let's focus on the development side, using this momentum to really target our demographic where we can really grow in the younger side of the sport as well as getting people interested in the sport overall. And while I will argue this is a good thing for Inter-Miami, I think one of the negatives overall for this move, if it happens, would be Messi would be going to one of the lesser teams in the MLS. And with all due respect to enter Miami, they haven't really done the best when it came to the MLS so far since they've essentially entered the league. But I think this could be a turnaround for them. They could definitely catapult their way into the topper echelons of the MLS. I said topper echelon. <laughs> Goodness, I can't talk today. But the upper echelons of the MLS and they can really benefit from this move both financially and from a player prospect perspective and just overall interest getting into into soccer into football here in the United States because again we've got a world cup coming up in 2026 3 years from now and what better than to have the greatest player of our generation playing in the MLS it's a lot like Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia and now currently Benzema going to the Saudi Pro League and I think that that's a positive move for a league like that it's definitely something that overall with the wealth that Saudi Arabia has it's definitely something that they could invest more into the football aspect I had made a comment on Twitter and Overall, generally, I am a little hesitant towards the Saudi Pro League going on and, and investing so much because we could definitely be seeing a overall situation like the Chinese Super League that essentially spent way too much and they are in a massive amount of debt right now. But that is not the target subject for this point. That is Messi, of course, Lionel Messi. But going back to that point... I definitely think that the United States can benefit from this transaction and having the greatest player ever going to the MLS. The greatest player of, of our generation, I should say, because, again, the, nobody can really get to the level of Pele. At three World Cups in his lifetime. That I don't think it'll be very hard-pressed for any player to really get to that level, but... Again, the greatest player of our generation right now currently coming to the United States is a massive plus. And I think I, I had made a post about this, and I, I think it's super ironic that Ronaldo, again, one of the greatest players of our generation right now, is has been transferred between 
different clubs. Obviously, you have Juventus, you have Manchester United, you have Real Madrid, you have Sporting Lisbon, and now you've got Al Nasir in the Saudi Pro League. But Messi, Lionel Messi, has gone from Barcelona, well, technically speaking, Newell's old boys, to Barcelona, to PSG, to potentially now the MLS, the United States, for absolutely nothing. For free. He has given every single club he has ever played for nothing in return. He, he, they have gotten zero money for his services for another club purchasing him. And in a way, it's very interesting. That puts into perspective that Lionel Messi's career is literally quite literally and figuratively priceless. You cannot put a price on Lionel Messi's career because he has essentially ran out of contract at every single club that he's been a part of. It, no one has ever been able to put a number transfer-wise to Lionel Messi. And that's that's just wild to me. I think that's in, it, it's incredibly fitting for a player of his stature, of his ability. And I think I look forward to that very much. While, yes, I would love for him to dorn the colors of Barcelona again, because, again, that that's his club. It is Barcelona. Barcelona is Messi, and Messi is Barcelona. You can't, you can't overlook that in any metric. I definitely want him at the United States as well to be able to actually see to see Messi play. Uh, I know for a fact if he comes to the United States, I would not buy a ticket quicker. <laughs> uh, the only other player I would have done that for is probably Miroslav Klose, which is uh, one of my, if not... No, it is. It is my favorite player of all time. But overall, uh, I'm very much looking forward to this prospect of... Messi coming to the United States, but to go to our second point, which I had touched on briefly, is the Saudi Arabian Pro League getting a whole bunch of different names going on and being linked during the summer transfer window. We obviously had Cristiano Ronaldo go to Al Nasir recently. We also had the signing of Karim Benzema going to the Saudi Pro League, as well as we're also talking about the potential of Ingolo Kante going to the Saudi Pro League, which is a bit interesting to say the least. I feel like that would be a good way for him to wind down his career as well, obviously being a, a great defensive midfielder or midfielder in any any setup he's really and truly in. He's a workhorse, obviously. You could see... You could see that in his highlights. You don't even have to watch him play. But obviously, I would I would advocate to watch him actually play a full game because he is a worker workhorse anywhere he goes. And he will definitely output for any team in the Saudi Pro League. You also have the likes of Human Son possibly going to the Saudi Pro League, although I'm not entirely sure how that could go about. But... I I see I see him still staying at Spurs, especially with the next talking point coming up. But we'll get to that in a minute. 
But we also have the likes of Wilfred Zaha going to the Saudi Pro League as well, which I definitely think could be an interesting prospect in the sense of Zaha being the fast man of the Premier League going to the Saudi Pro League. It's a new dynamic and a perspective that the league will have to adjust to, and, and any team that would sign Wilfred Zaha will have to deal with. And the defenses, I'm not entirely sure, would be prepared for a guy like him. And uh, it would definitely be a show, to say the least. And imagine the likes of Wilfred Zaha competing against the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and Karim Benzema in the Saudi Pro League. I fully believe that if the investments are made properly in the Saudi Pro League, I definitely think they could rise in stature. I don't know to the level that Cristiano Ronaldo has stated, but it's definitely a league to watch out for and one that if you don't pay attention closely to what's going on, they will sneak up and make a difference in football. And I think this definitely shows that they have intent, uh, if anything, towards improving their own countries while being in the sport of soccer and football as a greater whole. But going towards appointments and signings of the sort, the third and final point that I wanted to bring up is Postacoglu going to Tottenham Hotspurs. And I feel like, for me, this is a very, very good signing for Spurs. I did not think that Postacoglu was interested in leaving Celtic, but obviously he is going to a side that has a lot of potential. Obviously being in the top six for the greater part of the last 10 years and being a side that has upset the greater sides or, or the the upper echelons of the British Premier League. But definitely with this signing of Postacoglu as manager, I think that Spurs are making a step in the right direction. And uh, I, I, had, I looked up a little bit about Postacoglu uh, being a manager of the Australia setup as well as going to Japan and having a spell in Japan and then going to Celtic as well. I, I found a very interesting piece of information that I wanted to share with you guys here on, on the Wormburner Podcast. Postacoglu has won a league title with every single club he's played or has managed. And I thought that that was absolutely fascinating. So going through his career very, very quickly, he's managed South Melbourne, in which they won the NSL Premiership in 1997-98. He then went to the Brisbane Roar, where he won the A-League Premiership in 2010-2011, as well as the A-League Championship in 2010 11 and 2011-12. He then went to Australia, which technically doesn't count as a league league title, but he ended up winning the AFC Asian Cup in 2015. He then went to the Yokohama Marinos in Japan, won the J League title 
in 2019. He then went to, obviously, Celtic recently, in which he won the Scottish Premiership in 2021-22 and 2022-23. So two years in a row, won the Scottish Cup in 2022-23, this previous year's edition, as well as the Scottish League Cup in 2021-22 and 22-23, the latest uh, season, or the latest rendition of the competition there. Uh, as well as he holds the record for the longest undefeated streak in Australian sports history with 36 games for the uh, as Brisbane Roar manager I think I think he has a lot of potential here in the British Premier League with Tottenham Hotspurs I, I don't know exactly where he is going to end up with Tottenham but overall he's got a high ceiling potentially if he gets settled in at Tottenham, and I, I think the greater part of the fan base could be looking at a good renovation here, if if they decided to go that route. But they also have good youth talent at the club, and they could really, really make a dent here in this next year. Maybe even not the next two or three years for the British Premier League. Tottenham, I don't want to say would compete for the league, but it's a potential, especially with Pos- uh, Coglu's overall record being that he's won a league title in every single managerial job he's gotten. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be soon or later, but he has really risen up the managerial ranks as of recently, and, and it shows why. Uh, I definitely think he is the one to watch when it comes to next year for the British Premier League. But overall, I think that is a good place for us to end the Wormburner News section for this week. If you have not already, follow us on Twitter at WormburnerPDCST. Again, that is WormburnerPDCST. You also have our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Wormburner Podcast. You also have our website, the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Again, that is the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. Thank you for all of you that have listened. Stay safe, have fun, love soccer, and I'll see you guys next week. Ciao, everyone.